Hey, this is Tim from Kalamunda Church of Christ, and today I hope that this podcast blesses you. If you are wanting to know anything more about our beautiful church, why don't you hop online and head to our website at kalamunda.church. You can take your seats. It's lovely to be here with you this morning, church. My name is Luke, if you didn't know, and as Pastor Brad said, <laughs> hello. Pastor Luke, I'm not sure. That's, that sits odd in my mind, Pastor Luke. I don't know if I like that. <laughs> Whew. It's great to worship, isn't it? Thank you, James. Oh, thank you. You're doing everything for me. Right. As Brad said, we are in our Frequently Asked Questions series. And Brad delivered an awesome message last week answering the question of, or if not answering completely, because some of these questions are quite hard to answer, then offering an exploration of the question, where is God when bad things happen? Just lots of food for thought. Hopefully, we're going to have something similar today. It's a doozy of a question that I've been asked to explore. Again, I won't say that I have the ability to answer, and if I did, I wouldn't want to, because it's God that answers these sorts of questions in all of our hearts. He is the one with all the wisdom, and I'm not going to try and take that from him. But the question today, as it's been given to me word for word, is how many times did Jesus turn tables in the Bible, and why? Is anger a godly trait? And this is an exciting question. (laughs) I love this question, because anger is a topic that the Christian body enjoys avoiding. (laughs) Or at least I enjoy avoiding it. Maybe I'm projecting onto you guys. Um, But it's interesting because the question itself isn't necessarily that rare. It's just a bit rarer for Christians, I find. But for non-Christians, this question can actually turn up quite often. Because it's, the, it's non-Christians that often find themselves grappling with, is there an angry God out there angry at me? And how do I respond to that? Or they'll start exploring Christianity and they'll get into the Old Testament and they'll find the wrath of God. And then they can't reconcile that with any of the message of love that the Christians are saying. And as Christians, we have a lot of the same queries and questions about it. We just seem to not address them so much, and we're happy with the love of God, because that's great, that's easy, and that's for us. And then the anger of God, we sometimes lay aside just a little bit. Even though, in the Bible, in the Scripture, Jesus and God both are clearly shown to get angry. And the most common example of that, you'll find in the wording of that question, it's when, for Jesus in the New Testament, it's when he went into the temple and he flipped some tables. And so I'm going to read from Matthew 21, 12 through to 14. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. This is angry Jesus. Flipping tables, causing a ruckus, 
energy, violence, it seems. And we're called to emulate Jesus, right? To live like him. That's the message I've been receiving. I hope it's the right one. So then, good. <laughs> so then, do we emulate this? Do, do we practice anger? Is it something that Jesus slipped up in? Did he actually sin in this moment? And in that case, uh, is he less than divine and have we mistaken all of the Christian faith and understanding? No. Let's answer that one now. <laughs> so, so, some questions will be answered today, and that is one of them. <laughs> anger is not sin. But we have to explore how exactly that works and how anger can be perceived as sinless, or at least can be engaged with sinlessly or righteously. And righteous anger, by the way, isn't anger where it's all about you being right. That's not righteous anger. Righteous anger is anger where we manage not to sin. <laughs> so if you're here to get some righteous anger this morning, <laughs> it might look a little bit different to what you've got in, in mind. But, uh, so to answer this question, first I'm going to rephrase this, how many times did Jesus turn tables? What I'm taking that to mean, because it could mean a few different things, what I'm taking that to mean is how many times has Jesus acted in anger in Scripture and what are the causes, the symptoms of that? That, straight off the bat, in Scripture, is about five or six times. So there we go. We don't have to look at that anymore. No, I will go into, I will explore the ways that Jesus has acted in anger. But from my understanding, in Scripture, it's around five or six times. And then this, is anger a godly trait? Well, we're going to use those examples and we're going to use the example of Jesus to explore how was Jesus angry? What were the causes of his anger? What were the, the, um, the conditions and the targets and the focuses? And then what was the results and the actions that took place? And how can we follow that in order to understand anger as committed by God and committed by us as Christians trying to live as Jesus did. Is that a sound strategy? Can we get into it? Right, so we're going to start with anger. This is a good place to start. So, the definition of anger, or a definition of anger, is a strong feeling of annoyance, displeasure, or hostility. Some other definitions will tack on a bit extra on the end of, uh, it'll be displeasure, annoyance, hostility, uh, because of an injustice or unfair treatment against yourself. But as we explore this, we'll actually find that that's not always the case. Anger doesn't always have to be because of injustices against yourself. But it can also be about others. So we'll leave that shorter definition as it is. But I especially like this um, this third word, hostility. Because it's, it's true, at least from the anger that I've experienced, both in myself and others, it's true. Anger is hostile. Anger is against things. I like to term it as passion against. If we think of passion for, then I'm thinking of excitement and eagerness and joy. But if I'm thinking passion against something, 
like being riled up and built up against something, that's when I'm thinking anger and fury and wrath. Anger, as the world and as I seem to understand it, prefers attacking to relenting. It prefers punishing to forgiving. Argument to concession. Strength to weakness. That's the anger that I'm familiar with. Maybe it's not the only anger out there, and maybe we'll, we'll find about a, a bit more about that. But uh, the other thing I, I know about anger is usually when I get angry, it doesn't usually have the best result. Like, sometimes it hurts other people, hopefully other people and not me, but um, sometimes it hurts me as well. <laughs> and when other people are angry, it's the same thing. It often, you can, you can hurt me if people are angry at me. Certainly, I don't want to be in that position. So, if Jesus was angry, I've already answered this, but if Jesus was angry, does that mean he sinned? No. Anger is not sin. Even though in the Bible, we are dissuaded from it more often than we are encouraged to it. And I think that is wise. <laughs> but in Psalm 37, 8, it says, Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. In Ephesians 4.31, it says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. But anger is not sin. Anger, like many emotions, can lead to sin. Emotions are tricky like that. Reason and logic can also lead to sin. But emotions seem to have that ability to take over a bit easier. Sadness and grief can lead to sin. Happiness and desire and, and joy can lead to sin. Contentment and restfulness, if taken in the wrong way and practiced in the wrong way, can lead to complacency and apathy and sloth. Emotions can lead to sin. They can easily become sinful, and anger is one of these. Anger can very easily become sinful. We can very easily get our fists up and start swinging. But it is not sin. In Ephesians 4, 26 to 27, Paul says, In your anger, do not sin. Which straight away gives an implication that there is anger with sin and there is anger without sin. And we just have to find what that difference is and we'll find that through Jesus. To finish that scripture, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Anger can certainly be a foothold for the devil. That's for sure. But we will endeavor now to journey together and find the ways to avoid that. And so I am going to focus, as I've mentioned it a few times, but anger has causes, things that make you angry, Anger has targets, and what I mean by this is less... Um, no, actually, it's, it's exactly what I mean. Uh, the target of your anger is... So something makes you angry, and then you're going to be focused on something. But what you're focused on will actually determine the actions of your anger that you carry out. But anger also has symptoms or results or actions. And so by looking at all of these in Jesus, we will paint a picture of righteous anger that we can see as a godly trait. Anger isn't necessarily necessary to godliness, 
But Jesus certainly did display it and retained his godliness. So let's get into it. Causes. Some points on causes. Jesus got angry when he saw oppression and injustice against the poor and the mistreated and the helpless and the sick and the widow and the orphan. This was the cause of a lot of Jesus' anger. And that sometimes was against people, or caused, sorry, caused by people, because the people were doing the oppressing, and the people were being greedy. And this is, in fact, what we find in the temple story. The money changers and the pigeon sellers. You see, this was a time of Passover, and the population of Jerusalem had swelled from about 40,000 to about 250,000 because it was tourist season. Everyone from every land, if they were Jewish or, or you know, like to hang out with Jews, they were coming to the temple to make their sacrifices and celebrate Passover. And that included not just the rich people making the journey, but you had your average people, you had your poor people, you had your sick people, you had your widows and you had your orphans, all coming to the temple to make sacrifices. And for those people making the journey, oftentimes they wouldn't be bringing animals with them, they would be buying them in Jerusalem. And so they would need to get their currency changed, and they would need to buy some pigeons or some other animals. The problem was, the money changers and the pigeon sellers were charging a fortune. As far as I've learned, Outside the temple, you could get a pigeon for four cents. Inside the temple, 75 cents. And here we are worried about fuel prices. <laughs> and lettuces, don't forget the lettuces. But it was extortion. And with the changing of the currencies, there would be another extortionate fee. And for the rich people, that wasn't much of a problem. But for the poor people, for the sick people... It was preventing their ability to worship and sacrifice. It was oppression based in greed. It was abuse. And it got Jesus angry. Jesus was angered by what was taking place. And of all places, taking place in the house of his father. So this was the cause of Jesus' anger. Jesus can get angry at people. Jesus got angry sometimes at the condition of the world and the condition of sin and society. Jesus also, as we'll find as we keep going, got angry at sin and, uh, sorry, suffering and death. And yeah, where, where other people would experience grief, Jesus actually experienced grief and he experienced anger at death. Actually, some people still, that's, that's something that we say angry at God for the death of loved ones. But angry nonetheless. The second example today of Jesus being angry we find in Mark 40, sorry, Mark 1, 40 to 42. A man with leprosy came to Jesus and begged him on his knees. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. And this word indignant, this is anger. Indignance is anger because of unjust treatment, because of unfairness. Because this is what anger is is, uh, sorry, indignance is. So Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. 
I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. Now, what was Jesus, or who was Jesus angry at in this moment? Was he angry at the man who had leprosy? I don't think so. It's possible there were, he was angry at society as a whole for outcasting lepers and for just generally putting them in a tough spot. Or maybe he was angry at some teachers that were around. But I think more than any of that, Jesus was angry at the leprosy. Jesus was angry. He was passionate against the sickness. He was hostile against the disease because it was oppressing the man. And the man was in a helpless situation. So Jesus can get angered in a few different ways, not just at people. More on the causes of God and Jesus' anger. God and Jesus are slow to anger. We read this in many scriptures. And certainly in the Old Testament, it was true. With the Israelites, God was long-suffering. When they abandoned him, when they engaged with other gods and other cultures and, and practices like child sacrifice and, and all of these detestable things... Like, this is the problem with, with the Israelites of that time period. Worshipping other gods, it wasn't just about God's jealousy and the fact that they kind of left him on the sideline. That was certainly a factor. But when they engaged with the practices of other cultures, it actually resulted in neglect to their people, neglect to their poor and suffering, neglect to the orphans, the widows, the foreigners. They were sacrificing their children even at some points. To God's. And God got angry. The wrath of God was a real thing, is a real thing. But it was long in coming. He sent his prophets. He gave them chance and chance and chance to repent and turn from their ways. His anger is long suffering. It's also rare. Jesus isn't characterized by his anger. Certainly in the, church, uh, in the scripture, if you look for the amount of times he acted in anger, and you look for the amount of times he acted in love, not that they're necessarily mutually exclusive, by the way, but again, anger is about five or six times that we can tell. Love is a whole lot more than that. Jesus was not characterized by his anger. Even if you can be angry and not sin, that doesn't mean you have to be angry all the time. <laughs> Okay, so that, that, you can take that off, off, your, off your chest like, oh good, I don't have to be angry now. <laughs> like if, if that was worrying you at all. <laughs> and so with long-suffering, if anger cannot coexist with your patience, you will swiftly sin. This is interesting. I love this. This is interesting. Because we don't often perceive anger as patient. But let me tell you that when Jesus got angry... He did not, for a second, fall away from the fruits of the Spirit. And so that includes that his anger exists, coexisted with his patience, it coexisted with his gentleness, his kindness, his love, his self-control. Even when Jesus was flipping those tables, there was self-control there. Maybe we can't see it yet, <laughs> 
but it's true. And it's not easy for us, but none of the fruits of the Spirit we are expected to produce on our own. They are the fruits of the Spirit. They're not the fruits of Luke. They're not the fruits of man. They are the fruits of the Spirit. And so when we engage with God and we let Him grow those fruits within us, then we can exist in a place where our anger will not interrupt those blessings that pour out of us to others. <laughs> Do I have anything else on causes? Oh yeah, this last one, also very important. When Jesus got angry, he did not get angry on behalf of, his sel- of himself. He did not get angry on behalf of his own persecution and the injustices and the beatings and the floggings done against him. Even though he, more than anyone else in history, deserved to get angry, had the right to get angry. But Jesus' anger was always because of the sakes of others, because of the oppression of others. He did not get angry on his own behalf. And I know that most of the time when I get angry, it's on my own behalf. It's because things aren't right for me because the world is mean to me, because it's not fair for me. I want to be a Christian that gets angry because of the state of the world and the oppression and the poverty. I don't want to be singing my sorrows all of the time. And that is another key point, as Jesus has displayed, of righteous anger. Moving on to targets, and this one has less to cover because simply it is, again, the focus of the anger. So the anger has been caused by something, people, oppression, problems, the helpless, and now the anger has a focus. And usually, we're very used to the focus of the anger being the cause of the anger. It makes sense. Person X makes me angry, So I am going to focus on them. And then when I have an outflow from my anger, when I have actions that result, the type of target I pick will determine those actions. So if I'm targeting the cause of the anger, well then it's going to be aggression and it's going to be violence and it's going to be proving my point and it's going to be judgment and all of those things. But Jesus' target, whenever he got angry, his target was again the poor and the oppressed, and those suffering from the thing that was causing the anger. And that's very important, because when you target in that direction, your actions will be very different. And as we get into symptoms, we're going to see that. Because if Jesus is targeting with his focus, with his attention, if he's targeting the poor and the oppressed... His results and his actions are not going to be violence and aggression against them, because that doesn't make any sense. Because then he'll just be the same as as what the cause was. And so with the temple story, with the tables, yes, he did flip the tables, but his attention the entire time was on writing the situation for those who could not make their sacrifices for those who were sick and suffering. And we actually see in verse 14, and I'm going to come back to this again once we hit symptoms, but in verse 14, directly after uh, Jesus drove out the money changers, it says, And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. 
This is not a separate situation from the anger of Jesus. This is not three hours later in the temple he healed people. This is and they came and he healed. A bit hard to understand sometimes, like Jesus being angry and healing people or however it looks. <laughs> like with a frown on his face, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but the truth of the matter is, Jesus in his anger flipped over the tables and healed those in need. He was passionate against the oppression and the sickness and the death and the abuse. In Mark chapter 3, verses 1 to 5, Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of the Pharisees were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal the man on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. It's the same thing over again. The Pharisees, the society, was, with their rules about the Sabbath and their, their rules which were avoiding doing good and avoiding helping those in need, made Jesus angry. And so what was his focus? It was the man who was being hurt and suffering. Is that Jesus said to the man, stretch out your hand, and the hand was restored. Again, it doesn't sound like anger, but in the, in the scripture it says Jesus was angry and this was the result. Jesus was angry and this was the result. Imagine if we can cultivate, if we can learn and practice this kind of anger, this righteous anger with the correct causes, targets and symptoms, then what will be those symptoms? What will be those results in Jesus' name? When we are angry for the right reasons, not for ourselves, but for others. And when we focus not on waging war and wrecking havoc against the causes and, and the, the people on top, and actually skipping over those at the bottom that are actually being damaged by everything that's going on. But our focus is there with them, as Jesus's was. Like in the temple, in this moment, Jesus could have, you know, smited the Pharisees. He could have destroyed them, wiped them out, all of that stuff. But the man's hand would still be shriveled. And then what? <laughs> Jesus had something more important in mind than an eye for an eye. He had something more important in mind. And that was you and me in our sin. So with symptoms, first point is if in causes Jesus' anger is long-suffering and long in coming, then as a symptom, Jesus' anger was swift to leave. It was short-lived. And this is a really important facet of righteous anger, church. That we can get angry, we can get zealous for a cause, and for an injustice, 
But don't take it with you when you go to sleep. As it said in Ephesians 4, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. Prolonged anger leads to bitterness and resentment and, again, that judgment and those grudges. Let anger move you to a symptom. For, in fact, Jesus, when he, moved in, when he was angry, he always moved. He didn't just, like, sit on it. He didn't just make an angry post on Facebook so everyone could know he was angry and he was validated and he felt proud, but he didn't actually do anything about it. Jesus always moved when he got angry. But he made the movement, he addressed the problem, and then he didn't carry it with him. It's not worth carrying with you. Harbored anger hurts the soul. And so what were those symptoms? We've already seen it, I've already talked about it. But Jesus' anger always led to actions, and Jesus' anger led to love, healing, restoration. Again, a bit of an odd thing to think about sometimes. It doesn't initially sit right with us that anger can lead to these good things. But in Jesus, it did. In the temple, it did. He healed. And again, with the symptoms, Jesus flipped tables, not people. It would have been fun to see him flip the people, wouldn't it? Have them all walking out of there on their heads. <laughs> Jesus, what Jesus did in that moment, flipping those tables... He interrupted what was going on. He prevented it from continuing, not necessarily forever, but at least while he was in the room, because you bet they weren't going to set him back up while he was there. <laughs> they were like waiting for him to leave. Is he gone yet? Like, can we? Got our trestle tables. And, um, he stopped the problem without hurting the people, because God still loved those money changers. God still loved those pigeon sellers. God still loved the Pharisees, and God still loves us. Because, <laughs> you know, we, we, we always like to think of the Pharisees as, as the other people. <laughs> Last week, Brad talked about Lazarus and Jesus in that moment. Well, that is actually another example of Jesus getting angry, believe it or not. In John 11:38, it says, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. And this phrase, deeply moved, it has connotations of grief, certainly, but it actually also has more connotations of indignation. Again, that anger because of injustice. And that's, that's not my knowledge. That comes from the, the, the research I've done. So I didn't know it at first. But apparently, Jesus was angry when he came to Lazarus's tomb, he was angry at the death of his friend. He was angry at the injustice that had been done upon him. He was angry at the suffering that Mary and Martha were going through. And so again, he moved. In verse 43, when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And the last example of Jesus' anger I will share today, which is the last one that I found. Actually, that's not quite true. If you're aware of the story with the fig and the fig tree that withers, uh, that's often taken as a story of Jesus' anger. And it's an odd one sometimes to think about because it just seems like Jesus is, he, he doesn't get his way, he wants food and he doesn't get it, and then, you know, he just withers the fig tree. 
but it's actually more of a prophetic, symbolic act, which in the, prophetic, in the books of the prophets, they would engage in acts like these. But he was using the fig tree as a symbol for the, for the Jews and for the Israelites. That, um, and because it wasn't even fig season, which is, you know, so why was he expecting a fig? But he came in, and this fig tree, he looked for fruit, for good fruit, and he found none. And so he called down a curse, and the tree withered. And that was a symbol for him entering Jerusalem, because it was when he was on his way. It was a symbol for him entering Jerusalem. And he knew that he was going to look for fruit and find none, and that they were going to come against him and kill him. At least that's the interpretation that I've been given from my research and my reflection. But this last example, as the worship team comes up, is Mark 10, 13 to 16. And again, it's more of the same. But I was asked to answer the question, how many times did he turn tables? And I'm going to answer it, so here we go. In verse 13, they were bringing children to Jesus that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. And he said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. So just one more example of righteous anger. Again, the cause, in this case, it was the disciples. But Jesus didn't smite them or destroy them. Because his focus was on those children who didn't have access. They didn't have a voice. They didn't have agency because they're just kids. And what did Jesus do? What was the symptom and the result and the outflow of his indignation? He called them to himself and he blessed them. Let's be a church where our anger results in actions like these. It's not going to be easy on our own strength, but we don't just have our own strength. Let's be a church that sees oppression, that sees suffering, and we don't just let it pass us by, but we let it actually move us emotionally. We let it break our hearts. We let it rise up in us as zeal and passion against And again, we don't just do nothing in that anger. But in God's name, that we would be moved to reach out our hands and help in that moment. In our passion to offer healing and restoration. That is righteous anger. That is anger as a godly trait. And... And this is a hard one as well. We also have to get a little bit angry at our own sins sometimes. Because there is an, that's another injustice. That's another cause of suffering for ourselves and others. And sometimes as Christians, we can kind of just sit with our sin and we can get a bit friendly with it. 
Now, certainly it is God who takes away our sin and it is God who gives us the strength and the restoration and it is God who redeems. But often we come to that redemption and then we look down at our chains and we kind of like the look of them a little bit. It's a nice fashion statement. We get a li- we, sometimes we get a little bit too comfortable, church, with our habits and our sins. And all I'm encouraging today is not only that we would learn how to get angry for, for others and angry and move in healing and restoration in Jesus' name, but that we would also reawaken an anger against our own sin, an anger against our own complacencies, against our own addictions, against the things that we fought against and they've lingered, and so we've kind of just let them be for this season because maybe we'll get to it next season. This is the season, church. And this is not a condemnation, and I don't want you to condemn yourself, and I'm not condemning you, certainly. My job is not to get angry at your sin. You can get angry at your own sin. But this is not a condemnation. This is a conviction, church, that I want you to love yourself even when you're in sin. Because God loves you, even as a sinner. But I want you to hate sin in the world. I want you to hate sin even when it's in yourself. I don't want us to sit with it. And yes, things take time. And we have to submit all things to God and His working and His glory. But I want to call you, church, today. If you've got sin in your life that you've sat with, and it's gotten a bit too comfortable. Let's resubmit that to God today. Let's get passionate against our sin, hostile to our sin, because you know, there is actually a time when God calls us to anger. I said before that we, we don't need anger to be godly, but we can engage in anger righteously. Well, that's not quite true because God calls us to anger and to passion against sin. He calls us to passion against oppression and passion against... He calls us to enmity with sin, that we are enemies with the sin in our lives because we cannot serve two masters, church. And so as the team goes back into worship, I'm going to invite the prayer team up and I'm going to be here to pray or we'll just be off to the sides. And I encourage you for two reasons, if if this connects with you, for two reasons, to come down and just have a chat and have a prayer, have a pray. But to actually allow yourself to, to be moved in this moment. And the first reason is if you find that you're too angry too often and it's not a righteous anger. And it happens to all of us, it happens to me. But if you've got something stirring that says, you know what, I don't want to be this kind of person with this kind of anger, then I encourage you to come down to the front and pray with someone that God may grow in you a righteous kind of anger for the right reasons in the right moments. But again, for that second point, if you find that you've gotten too friendly with some of the sin in your life and you've kind of let it linger, then I encourage you to come down the front and get prayer with someone that God will reawaken the right kind of anger in you that we're not just going to sit with our chains church that we're not just going to sit with where we were 
but we're going to move in Jesus' name to where God has called us to be. Because God calls us to freedom and freedom indeed. Sometimes, like we say, if you are free in Jesus, you are free indeed. Sometimes we say that to encourage ourselves. Sometimes that's actually a challenge. That God has not freed us so that we can be partially free. So if, so if you want to be partially free and just sit there, then that's not what God wants for you. And again, I am not condemning any of you. And if, if that comes across, then I apologize with all of my heart. But I'm passionate <laughs> that we would be a church that moves against sin and moves for love in Jesus' name. Because that's what Jesus did.